Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues our series of messages on the Book of the Twelve, today looking at Nahum. And now, here's Dave. Good to see each and every one of you here this wonderful morning. I guess most of you realize that in countries like Europe and the Ukraine, Serbia, Russia, Belarus, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and even the African nations like Egypt and Ethiopia, uh, this day is uh, significant for them. Uh, January 7th is considered Christmas and uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting time. So January 6th is Christmas Eve so that uh, it just bodes well to say Merry Christmas once more. And, uh, <laughs> and I trust you've also been having a Happy New Year. Uh, so I... Uh, I want to say that it's only one weekend, so there's there's still chance for you, for all those resolutions that we made on uh, New Year's. Um, there's still possibilities. There's still 51 more weeks in the year, so don't give up, whatever those resolutions were. I, I know of one person here, they resolved the resolution. While they did not tell me this, I, I personally deduced it by inference and, and many comments earlier. Uh, their resolution was to have one piece of cake every day for the next uh, year, and uh, I see a hand went up. <laughs> so I think I think that was a, that was one of those ones that you didn't have to even think about. Um, so this is a, an interesting book, and I think it behooves us to to look to the Lord for prayer, uh, to or look to for His help. Uh, it's only three chapters long, only 43 verses. It takes about five minutes to read it, but at the same time, it's probably one of the most difficult five minutes you might have ever experienced. So, uh, so we, we pray that uh, God will bless us as we look to His Word. Let's just further look to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You again for the opportunity to come before You this day. We thank You that this is Your Word. It's not my Word. It's not the Church's Word. It's, it's not even the translators of these English versions' Word, but it is Your Word. It is holy sacred, but most importantly, true. And it never changes. Uh, it is eternal. The Lord Jesus himself would say of the word that my that everything else will pass away, but my words will endure forever. And so we thank you again, Lord, that we can trust your word. And it is good. Again, we just look to you for your blessing upon this time. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles... Uh, you feel free to open it. Um, in the latter part of the Old Testament, following Micah, you have Nahum. Easy way to remember it. Nay, the sound of a pony. Hum, what you do when you don't know the words. So, um, so Nahum, uh, I'm sure that's not the way it would be pronounced if we were to go over there. Um, probably quite a bit different. But uh, nevertheless, it's unique among the Hebrew prophetic literature. 
in that it is primarily addressed not to Israel or Judah. So you'll remember that the, uh, the books of the Old Testament are largely centered around the nation of Israel. But this is one that is actually quite unique. And let's, let's read it together, shall we? This is the prophecy against Nineveh, the book of the revelation of Nahum the Elkoshite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. Jehovah avenges and is furious. Jehovah takes vengeance on his enemies. He reserves his anger towards his enemies. Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power and will not acquit the wicked. Jehovah has his road in the whirlwind and in the storm. The clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth lifts up in his presence. Yes, the world and all those who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His fury is poured out like a volcano with rocks thrown down by him. But Jehovah is good. A castle in the day of tribulation. He knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete destruction of this place. And darkness will pursue his enemies. So why do you plot against Jehovah? He will make a total destruction of this. Tribulation shall not rise up a second. For while entangled like thorns and while parting like drunkards, you shall be eaten like hay fully dried. For from out of you comes a wicked advisor, one who weaves only evil against Jehovah. Thus says Jehovah, though there are many and appear peaceful, yet in this manner they will be cut off. When he passes through, although they have humbled you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will burst his yoke from off of you and tear off your halter. Jehovah has given a command concerning you. No longer shall your name be populated any longer. For from out of your house I will cut off your idols, both the carved and the molded images. I myself will dig your grave, for you are cursed. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings glad tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts. Keep your sacred promises to God. For the wicked one shall no more pass through you, for he is utterly destroyed. Thus ends chapter 1 of Nahum. Interesting that as we look at this, it is the burden against Nineveh. All of us remember Nineveh, who hasn't heard of the account of the book of Jonah and how God called Jonah to bring a message to that great city, Nineveh. Where was Nineveh? Well, if you go to it today, it's about a 13-hour car drive from Tripoli, Lebanon. If you go basically from Lebanon on Highway 1 northeast, you will get eventually after 13 hours of driving to the city of Mosul. And Mosul is on the west bank of the Tigris River. The Tigris and Euphrates rivers are there. They split and Mosul was, in fact, the Nineveh of the Old Testament. This is the city to whom Jonah came preaching, repent, repent. In 40 days, God is going to destroy this city. And they repented. You see, the whole premise of preaching is not to bring destruction the prophet was not wrong. There was going to be destruction unless they 
repented. Isn't that wonderful? That the judgment of God can be dissuaded by a turning of one's heart to the Lord. And the goodness of God is all through this little book. Jehovah is good. Verse 7. Now, by the way, I've interplayed the word Jehovah and what your Bible might have said, the capital L-O-R-D, the Lord, and Yahweh for some translations. So, bear with me. It's all the same word. But it means the Lord that was the Lord of Israel, the unique one, the only God of this universe, the one who spoke and the worlds came into being. And by the way, we know him by his other name, Jesus. For Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is the Lord Almighty. And he is the one who's coming soon. And so, the Lord is good. Jehovah is good. Yahweh is good. He's a castle. He's a fortress. He is the one who, when you have afflictions and trials and difficulties, He knows you when you trust in Him. Have you trusted in Him this morning? What a time to be trusting in the Lord Jesus. In this time of chaos, in this times of war, in this time of of Massive earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis, plagues. Was there ever not a time but this to trust in the Lord? And I, for one, and I'm sure you've said this too, cannot understand how a person can even sleep at night without knowing that the Lord is our shepherd. That He comforts us. He restores our soul. He gives us sleep to His beloved. And so, He is good. He is good. That's the first thing I'd like to remind us of. In the midst of difficulties, in the midst of distresses, He is good. Wow. We need to hear that again and again. We need to know the goodness of God. You know, it is the live Satan that promotes that God is just a mean old stodgy. That he's a crank. He's always trying to make, take away your joy in life. God is not like that. He loves to give pleasure. He loves to give beauty. The sunset that he paints so many times in your life. It was for you that he did that. Those moments... When you looked and you said, this is awesome, God. You're such a creator. He says, just for you. Just for you. But the lie of the devil, the lie of Satan, is that God is out to spoil your life. And I'm here to declare, as every Christian can declare, He is good. He is good. And the lie of Satan is that He is bad. He's only out to give you trouble. He said that to Eve. He said, has God said, in Genesis 3, has God said that you can eat of every tree? What is he implying? That a denial of one tree, even though he said it was all perfect, all was good, was a denial of his goodness. Denial is not good. How many times 
have we said when we were raising children, don't go there, it's dangerous, you best not go there. And as those little feet started to move in that direction, we yanked them back. (laughs) We pulled them back. And the child looks at us and starts to wail, you've denied my independence, why did you do that? We do that to God, don't we? Don't we sometimes do that with the Lord? He shuts the door and we say, oh, rats, I didn't want that to happen. And he says, you're glad that it did happen. Because I shut the door because I could see what was on the other side of that door and where that path led. And that path led a place that you would not want to even know about. Because I am good and I love you. And you are my sheep and I will shepherd you. And so they should. Psalm 73, 1 says, Truly God is good to Israel, such as are pure of heart. How can we have a pure heart? Well, another prophet, Ezekiel, put it this way in Ezekiel 18.31. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart with a new spirit. Why would you die, O house of Israel? And Ezekiel 36.26, I will give you a new heart, says the Lord. I will put a new spirit. I will take out that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, we sometimes think, Oh, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and he said, you must be born again, that this was not understood. But they had the prophets of old saying, you need more than just religion. You need more than perpetual sacrifice. You need more than temple worship. You need more than praise. You need to be born again. I didn't put it quite that way. Jesus is very succinct and very clear. He says, you don't just need a radical. How can we have a pure heart? Well, another prophet, Ezekiel, put it this way in Ezekiel 18.31. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart with a new spirit. Why would you die, O house of Israel? And Ezekiel 36.26, I will give you a new heart, says the Lord. I will put a new spirit. I will take out that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, we sometimes think, oh, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and he said, you must be born again, that this was not understood. But they had the prophets of old saying, you need more than just religion. You need more than perpetual sacrifice. You need more than temple worship. You need more and praise. You need to be born again. I didn't put it quite that way. Jesus is very succinct and very clear. He says, you don't just need a radical makeover. You need a heart change. A heart transplant. And that's what he told Nicodemus, the most religious, the most scrupulous, the most attentive person in all of Israel. And Nicodemus is flabbergasted. And he starts thinking it because, you know, the Pharisees of the day were the doctors of the day. And he starts thinking, how in the world can I get... That That doesn't make sense. I can't go back into the womb. Physiologically, what are you talking about? And he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit. You need a spiritual new birth. We sang this morning victory in Jesus earlier. Somehow Jesus came to me and brought the victory. 
That's what we're talking about when we talk. A frog's croak can be a beautiful sound. For he made that frog. And that's the voice he gave. So if he gave you a frog croak, croak with all your might. Because he wants to hear your voice. He says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And so when you see those trees, the trees of the field, they clap their hands. Have you been in a field one day and you suddenly realized all the trees were clapping? You hear the leaves clapping back and forth. You go, they're praising God. The plants alone can praise the Lord. For they are living creatures that God has given to give him praise. And so he is good to all. Psalms 145 verse 9. We need to be reminded of these verses, friends. We live in a day when God is put down as a grouch and a scrooge and Ebenezer, a mean old dog who sits in the back corner with a whip trying to get you to obey a law you can't obey. And he says, that is from the devil. That's a doctrine of demons. Our God is an awesome God. We sang about it this morning. He is awesome. He is good to all. His tender mercies over all his works. Did you catch that? He has the tender mercies of a mother caring for her child that just puked all over her. That's the love of God. That is one of the ways that you see the love of God manifested. When a doctor walks in or a nurse walks in and that patient just all of a sudden lets loose some body fluids that you don't even want to mention here. And then that person cheerfully goes and does what is needed to be done and shows the love of Christ. The love of God is manifested in you and me when we demonstrate and allow His Holy Spirit to give us those nudges and fill us and use us to communicate His love. And so, gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, and the voice of those who will say, Praise the Lord of hosts. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. When I get a little discouraged, and we all get a little discouraged every once in a while, one of my favorite go-to memories is the marriages of my children. And when you go to those moments when you look back and you think, what a happy moment it was to see the culmination of all that you prayed for and besought the Lord for come to pass in those lives. And it doesn't always work out. We all know that. But the fact is, while children can bring heartaches and Sorrow, they can bring so much joy and especially on that day when you think about all that's involved. And here, Jeremiah is thinking about the voices of all the people that have marriage. And they say, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. One day, we who know the Lord will be in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's going to be a big table. And it's going to be a wondrous celebration And we will rejoice together and we will say, the Lord is good. 
His mercy endures forever. Nahum is trying to remind those who are hearing this message that indeed God is good. You know, when you think about it, he's talking to Gentiles primarily. This message was for Nineveh. We know that because three times we're told the primary recipient is Nineveh. Chapter 1-1, the prophecy against Nineveh. Chapter 2-7, Nineveh of old has reservoirs of water. And chapter 3-7, they will flee from you and say Nineveh has been ravaged. It's primarily about a Gentile city. Old Testament directed to Gentiles. I think that's cool. I think that's wonderful. Because God never, ever just intended His plan to be for Israel, the nation. He intended it for the whole world. The good news is, the Gospel has been proclaimed in every place. And this land of Nineveh needed to hear it. It needed to hear it at the time of Jonah when they actually repented. And it needed to hear it at the time of Nahum about a hundred years, about a century later, when they were in need of repenting again. And unfortunately, they did not repent to the extent that would avoid the calamities that are talked about in chapters 2 and 3. Some of you might say, well, I'm, I'm having a hard time accepting this, this book as being just for Gentiles. Well, it wasn't just for Gentiles, but it was certainly included that the primary focus was the people of Nineveh. Nineveh, the ancient capital, the oldest and most populated city of the Assyrian Empire. Did you know that for a long time people said the Bible can't be true because we can't find Assyria? We cannot find any evidence of Assyria until they started looking in the right fields. <laughs> they started following what the Bible said where, where Assyria was located. And they went to fields not too far from Mosul and they found the ancient city of Nineveh. Yes, not only did it exist, but it was massive. It was powerful. It influenced the northern kingdom of Israel to the extent that they were actually subjugated by this nation. And it almost defeated Judah. For in 2 Kings 18 and 19, you have the account of Sennacherib, the general from Assyria, who comes in with 185,000 soldiers to defeat Jerusalem. And as you think about that story and you look at that account, you understand that Nineveh was very, very powerful. But the good news, of course, is this. The king, Hezekiah, at the time, comes to the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah knows of the book of Nahum because although Nahum was before Isaiah, he's read the prophecies of Nahum. And he knows that there is hope. And he urges Isaiah to focus on the Lord and to trust in Him that God will provide a way. I love it when politicians are the people and say, I am but a politician and I haven't got all the answers, but I go to one who does. And I go to the Lord. And I'll never forget the Prime Minister, I believe it was Jamaica, 
And there was this huge hurricane that was barreling down on Jamaica. And this prime minister said publicly, let us have a day of prayer and fasting to ask God to turn this hurricane apart away from us. What right do you say? You know, you, you could take the negative view and say, he doesn't have a right to pray that prayer. I mean, what about the people that that hurricane's going into? Let them do their own prayer. That's what we should stop and think about. God has called us to be ministers of prayer, intercessors, priests before God on behalf of others. And so this prime minister did that. And all of a sudden, the direction of the of the huge storm, that huge hurricane, shifted and turned away and veered out into the Mid-Atlantic. And God got the praise. It's the only time in recent history I've seen this happen. And this happened something like 20 years ago, so it's, it's been a while. Oh, but wouldn't it be wonderful if our leaders stood before God and said, I am yours, you are mine. And I bear this responsibility of this nation on your behalf. May that be our experience. May that be the experience of the entire world. That we would be all servants of the Lord God. And so we find that there are other lessons. Not only is he good, not only is he castle in days of tribulation, but he is slow to anger. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. God is jealous. And Jehovah avenges. He avenges and is furious. He will take vengeance on his enemies. He reserves his anger towards his enemies. He is slow to anger and great in power, but will not at all acquit the wicked. And so it is. We have many who would say, yes, I'm so glad that he is slow to anger. Psalms 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding. In mercy. Are we slow to anger, by the way? Do we just flip out on all, all kinds of little things? Do we suddenly lose our, our and I'm, talking, I'm preaching to the preacher here too, you know. Um, or do we let the Lord, who is slow to anger, remind us that we too are his ambassadors. We too should be slow to anger and great in mercy. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. And he relents. He repents from doing harm. Joel 2.13 Jonah even said this to God. After the entire city, the greatest world evangelistic crusade ever, that Jonah preaches, and he is the most reluctant preacher ever, but he gets the whole... No, he doesn't get it. The Lord gets them to repent. And he says to the Lord afterwards, Oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? I fled to Tarshish. I know you're gracious. I know you're merciful. I know you're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. He knew it, but he didn't know it in his own heart towards others. You know, we can know it up here, but if it doesn't come out in our actions and our love and our compassion to others, we really don't know what it means to be slow to anger. And so, as we move to chapters 2 and chapters 3, a uh, couple things that I would like to share with you that will help us understand the, the message that he had for the people. 
in in chapters 2 and 3 we find that he also says other things chapter 2 verse 7 it is decreed she shall be led away captive she shall be brought up and her maid servants shall lead her as with the voices of doves beating their chests so Nineveh of old has reservoirs of water now these waters fail by the way have anyone heard about the waters of the Tigers Euphrates failing lately? Uh, you might be aware that they have huge dams, we call them today, but that is the word reservoir in the translation, which have blocked the, blocked the waters so that the downstream areas are hardly any getting a trickle. They've uncovered massive uh, finds in the archaeological sense, but most importantly, they have fulfilled Scripture in some ways as well. And so, this, chapter 2, verse 7, it is today that when God decrees something, it's not to create problems, but rather it's to create blessing. In Daniel chapter 4, I'd like to bring us back to another example of God dealing with Gentiles. Except this one, in Daniel, he's dealing with a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And let's look at Daniel chapter 4 and see what happens with this king. Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel chapter 4, to all peoples, nations, and languages, yada, yada, Peace be multiplied to you. And then he goes on to say, The Most High has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. And then he tells his story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house, flourishing, and I saw a dream. And he goes into great detail about his dream. And his dream was uh, a dream of a, a huge tree being cut down. And the tree was cut down. And they chop the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, verse 14, and scatter its fruit, let the beast get out of from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave a stump and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And um, the, the decree is, is clear. Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his kingdom. He's going to lose his sanity. And that is what happens. And so, the king in verse 30 of that same chapter, Daniel 4, it's a beautiful chapter. If you haven't read it, it's, it's well worth reading. The Old Testament is full of personal accounts of people who met God. Gentiles, Naaman the Syrian, Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian, uh, the king of Nineveh, an Assyrian, again. Um, these are like us, outside of the nation of Israel, physically speaking. The good news is, God loves everyone. He came for all. And so he says in verse 30, the king spoke, Is not this great Babylon I built for a royal dwelling, mighty power, and the honor of my majesty? While a voice was still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you. Just like that. 
so fast. And they will drive you from men, and your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. And that very hour, the word was fulfilled. Verse 33, he was driven from men and ate grass like an oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nail like bird's claws. And at the end of time, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High. I praise and honor to him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say, what have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned, the glory of my kingdom, my honor and my splendor returned to me. And my counselors and nobles resorted and I was restored to my kingdom. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, extol, honor the king of heaven. What a wonderful conversion story. Gentile. Not of Israel. Why does God spend time talking in the minor prophets and the major prophets about other kingdoms? Because He loves all of us. I've been going through Isaiah. And, you know, the prophets are called to do some pretty strange things. There's one verse I think would kind of give me a whack on the head. The prophet was told to walk around naked for three years as a sign to... Ethiopia, that they were going to have that happen to them. And you go, huh? I thought this prophet was a prophet for Israel. No, he was a prophet for all, because God loves all. And so as we look at the latter part of this, this little book in Nahum, as we look at how it fits together, what do we have to say? Well, it's about grace. It's about grace. While God has decreed things, God loves people. And he says that these will be no better than, verse 8 of chapter 3, no better than no Ammon that was situated by the river that had the waters around her whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea, and yet she was taken away into captivity. So, but the underlying theme is this. If you will be, repent, you can avoid this. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in Him. We in this generation, in this time, have plenty of things that would upset us. But let me remind you of this. Nothing coming towards you is going to be more difficult than you can bear. How do we know this? No temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But well, God will, with the testing or temptation, make a way of escape so that you might be able to bear it. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And the message of this little book is simply this. Repentance is always an option. And he is with his children because he is good. May we call up the, the team and ask them to come up and include us with uh, prayer.
as well as a song, and I'm going to ask Dave if he'll conclude in prayer for this time together. Thank you for your kind attention, and I do encourage you to read it, the full, the full book of Nahum. Five minutes is all it takes. We didn't read the full book, but we did read some of the other parts of the book. God bless you. Lord, we have uh, been um, in your presence this morning and seeing you in the, in the way through the eyes of the prophet Nahum and how you are a, a God who is both merciful and gracious and slow to anger but does not leave the sins of the uh, guilty unpunished. And so we, we stand and think of your mercy and your um, judgment uh, side by side Considering your ways, we ask that you would help us to seek your mercy and to turn to you to find your grace uh, in this time. We pray that you would help us to be your uh, prophets as well, that we would speak your message to the worlds around us as we go our ways. And we pray for your help in doing this throughout the days ahead. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.